Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on today's show, the man with the golden goal, Dylan Gunther, will join us. We'll speak with Jay Ingram, well-known Canadian science broadcaster and author. He's now doing some work on helping you reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's. And we'll take a look at the Three Amigos Summit. Coming up right away here, what's on the agenda this time around? Team Canada reasserted this country's junior hockey dominance once again last week, but it wasn't easy. Boy, pushed right to the limit by Team Czechia. I think Czechs were the, or Czechia was the only team to beat them in the tournament in the opening game. Uh, and they needed overtime to clinch the championship. And the championship was clinched on a golden goal scored by Edmonton's own Dylan Gunter. Delighted that Dylan has time to join us this morning. Dylan, first of all, uh, congrats. Have you, have you come down from the high of the golden goal yet? Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's been crazy. It's been a whirlwind the last 48 hours and, uh, I, I know. I, I mean, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of text messages and whatnot, and uh, it's something I'll never forget. So, uh, pretty exciting stuff. But uh, excited to also be back with Arizona now. That's the thing, yeah. And we'll get into that in a second because I mean, it just it just keeps coming for you. But millions of us grow up dreaming of a moment like the one that you lived last week. I mean, uh, I'm sure you did too, growing up playing road hockey and on the ODR. Was it even better than you imagined? Just just that moment. I got to say, you seemed a little, I thought, I mean, I would lose my mind. You seemed a little contained. How? Just walk us through that moment where you get the pass across, you chip it into the net, Canada wins gold. Yeah, I think I, I was a little stunned at first. Like, I, um, you know, growing up, I mean, you play that goal in, in your driveway, like you said, a thousand times, and then you dream of that moment, and you dream to play in this tournament and ultimately win gold and to score that, I think, uh you know, it was just surreal, and, you know, I've been getting a little bit of heat for uh, the celebration after <laughs> I forgot to throw my stuff, but, uh, I mean, while the play is going on, I uh, I mean, I obviously know we're in overtime, it's three on three, but going through my head is not, uh, what am I doing, what if I score this here, it's, uh, right, yeah. when he gets it across, just try to get the puck up, and it went in, and he threw stuff, and I was like, oh yeah, that, that was it, so, uh, pretty pretty exciting stuff. Was there a sense of relief? I mean, being part of Team Canada at any international tournament, a dream come true, of course, but but it's not easy, is it? I mean, anything short of total victory is, is kind of seen as a failure in a way. So is that how you felt going to Halifax? And was there almost a sense of, oh, we did it when you won? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think with anything, when you work so hard towards it, uh, when you achieve it, you can kind of take a deep breath and, you know, be proud of yourself. So. Uh, you know, we battled hard. Like, like you said earlier, we lost the Czechs, uh, first game of the tournament. So we had a little bit of chip on our shoulder there. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it wasn't only the gold medal game, but, uh, they, you know, they beat us in the first game. And so, uh, we wanted to kind of get them back for that one. Yeah. You know, in the first game, and I thought that was just a blip, whatever. It's early in the tournament. Who cares? They'll get it sorted out. I, uh, to me, my thinking was the game against the U.S. was the gold medal game. Um, that was going to be your biggest test. I underestimated this Czech team. They were really good, eh? Yeah, they were good. I mean, them and the Slovaks. I mean, we went to uh, 
overtime with Slovakia and and they play a similar style. I mean, they're obviously neighboring countries, but uh they play hard. I mean, they're they're big and strong and fast and you know, they're relentless for Czech hard and they don't give up. Like we we were up to nothing on uh Czechia going into the third period, uh you know, less than ten minutes left and they score on back to back shifts. So so they're always there and credit to them and, and how well they played uh throughout that whole tournament and uh yeah i mean it was really it made it exciting for you guys but maybe not as exciting for us yeah a little nerve-wracking oh it was exciting i'll guarantee you hey for for some of the guys on that team uh, that's it Th- that's the pinnacle it's never going to get any better for them that's the biggest moment in their hockey career um for a guy like you though i mean you've already played more than 20 games in the nhl you're playing against Sidney crosby last night i mean you sort of have this two world hockey existence going on where you've already started down the path towards what looks like a very promising NHL career. Then you're coming back for the World Juniors. I mean, how how was that, balancing those two? I mean, they're massive. I mean, it's everything you've worked for all your life happening at the same time. How was it balancing those two? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like you said, I think everyone everything comes so fast. Like, I mean, you get drafted to the, to the NHL, and, you know, you, you go to the World Junior Camp, and, you know, everything happens so fast. You play your first game and then have the opportunity to play here, so... But I mean that uh, that moment and that tournament, I think it's almost as sacred and you know Canadian culture. I mean, I feel like it's a tradition for everyone to watch yeah. that come Christmas time, and uh, you know it, it's something that you don't get uh, really in any other tournaments. And that like the crowds on their feet the last thirty seconds of the game when you're winning. I mean, like you don't get that uh, you know even in the NHL, right? So. Um, I just think how the nation comes together and how everyone's kind of comes in as one and is all cheering for, uh, for Canada. That's what makes it so exciting and that's uh, what makes it so fun to play in. Now you're back in the NHL playing against Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby last night. On social media, there was, uh, seemed to be a moment between, between you and Sid, uh, that happened yesterday. Tell us about that. What happened? Yeah, that was special. So I, uh, I mean, I got off the plane, uh, you know, one o'clock the the day after, and then had the rest of the day. So I practiced uh, not yesterday, but the day before. And as I was leaving, Pittsburgh was coming into practice, so they asked, like, you know, if you stick around, you have the opportunity to meet Sidney Crosby. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy is a Canadian hero. I mean, he scored like the golden yeah, goal, and he, yeah. he's everyone's like, he's my favorite player growing up, and uh, you know, just a huge part of the Canadian culture and hockey, obviously. So I get to kind of meet him and and talk with him and almost like share a similar like experience with him that it uh, it still doesn't feel real. I mean, he he was my hero and uh, my favorite player growing up and for him to take the time to uh, stop and, uh, you know, chat with me, I think was really special. And that's something I'll never forget. You played 20, what, 21, 22 games in the NHL last night, Sidney Crosby, Gino yeah. uh, Malkin. Do you still sort of get these pinch me moments? Like what's going on here? I mean, that, that's Sidney Crosby I'm lining up against. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think uh, more so after and after the game, uh, in, in warm up sometimes when you look yeah. over and uh, you see them kind of coming out on the ice and like, oh, and like, you know, they're right there, and uh, it, do, it doesn't really feel real. So it's uh, it's pretty cool when you get to play guys like that. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, just before I let you go, and I really appreciate your time. We're chatting with Dylan Gunter uh, of the World Junior Hockey Championship team and the Pittsburgh, uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, we got to talk about Connor Bedard. I guess you got to watch this guy up close. He looks like maybe the next one, and there's also a possibility he might be a teammate of yours in the near future. Just w- how exciting would that be for you? Yeah, I mean he's 
obviously a special talent. I mean, everyone uh, sees what he does, and, you know, he's such a good player, and uh, he's a great person, too. You know, he's, he's a modest guy, and uh, I think he's just so hardworking. So I, I give credit to him, and, uh, you know, he's such a good person. And, you know, to to play with him for for those three weeks and kind of just watch him day in and day out, you, you can learn stuff from that and can learn uh, stuff from how he carries himself and whatnot and uh, what he's doing every day. So uh, it was pretty special to get to play with him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if he came down to the desert, that would be unbelievable. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, a talent like this comes around too often. Oh, I think you're right. Um, Dylan, thank you so much. Congratulations once again. I really appreciate you uh, spending a few minutes with, with us today. Really looking forward to this conversation. Have been for a while. Jay Ingram is a name that's very well known to Canadians. He's done all kinds of work uh, in the science world. I don't know if you'd call it science education or science accessibility, but he's an author. He's a broadcaster. Um, perhaps maybe best known for his time spent hosting Daily Planet on Discovery Channel. Before that, uh, he was host of Quirks and Quarks on CBC Radio for a number of years. Uh, really excited that he's uh, here to speak with us this morning. Jay, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. I'm finally on your show. I feel like saying, you know, first-time caller, long-time listener or something like that. <laughs> we we started chatting uh, on social media a while ago, and, and I was really excited because i got to say, and I, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable here, but Quirks and Quarks, uh, going back to when I was a kid driving around with my dad on the week, I remember that show to this day. I absolutely loved it. Um, just wonderful stuff, and there's really nothing else like that on radio, is there? I mean, that was sort of a unique niche for you. Yeah, it, there's nothing on it like radio. And, you know, you mentioned Daily Planet. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing anywhere on television like Daily Planet was. You know, an hour a night, five nights a week, prime time. Um, no one was, not even the American Discovery Channels were interested in that. Science. I mean, that's sort of been your, yeah, that's been the milieu that you've been working in for so long. How come? I mean, wh why did you end up there? Was that something that you sought out? How did it work? You know, um, so I was um, fumbling, <laughs> fumbling my way through university. Um, I went to Toronto from Edmonton. I did my undergrad at University of Alberta. I went to Toronto and sort of kept going in graduate studies. But oddly enough, and I can't really pinpoint the reason, I sort of knew this, what I've done is what I wanted to do. Okay. I wanted to, you know, I knew there were great stories in science. And I felt that more people should know them. So that's what I did. And now we mentioned your work in Discovery Canada and you've written several books and you're on CBC and all this stuff. Now you're working with the Public Health Agency of Canada on a, it's a pretty interesting campaign. I must admit, an eye opener for me. You're focusing now on dementia. Tell us what you're up to. Yeah, so everybody's familiar with dementia and specifically Alzheimer's disease. But I think what's really important to know is that there are risks for getting dementia, and let's let's concentrate on Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. that you can actually manage. And I don't think this is very well known. And you know, if we as we talk about this, you'll see that some of these are things. I mean, you can actually control. Now, yeah. you know, con there are a lot of risks. So right now, the medical community has identified about a dozen. Uh, some are a lot easier to control than others, but the you know if you're a person concerned about 
eventually getting Alzheimer's, these are things you should really pay attention to. You know, Jay, I think you're right. I mean, for me, somebody who, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing strictly science broadcasting, but, you know, just in all the different health-related news and everything else, I was trying to think about it, you know, in terms of Alzheimer risks and all the rest. A do a crossword puzzle came to mind. I think there were stories about that for a while, but that was really my understanding of the risk. I was really surprised to learn there are so many. What, what are they? Like you say, some of them are within our control. Yeah, so, um, you know, the one thing is that because they're quite disparate, they range over a whole bunch of things. I've been trying to figure out how best to group them. But uh, let's start with things that you most of us kind of already know, which are things like stay physically active. Uh, this is particularly important as you as you become elderly, mm -hmm. but it's really important, as you know, all the time. So physical activity can lower your risk by one or two percentage points. Um, so can if you stop smoking. We all know that already. Yeah, sure. Uh, when it comes to alcohol, uh, just don't overdo it. Uh, nobody says, you know, completely abstain. But, um, you know, keep it under two drinks a day. That to, Otherwise, you are risking Alzheimer's. So there's three right there. Drinking, smoking, physical activity. We kind of all know. Yeah, those are that, like general health. Those are general yeah. well-being risks, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, obesity is a significant risk as well. So, you know, it's harder to deal uh, with that for some people than others. But that's something to keep an eye on. And high blood pressure. Like high blood pressure, honestly, if you're 35 years old and you have high blood pressure, I would urge you to get it controlled because the long-term impact makes it a pretty significant uh, Alzheimer's risk. Now, this campaign that you're working on is uh, basically just try and pick one at a time, right? Just get started, do something. Yeah, yeah, they're calling it, uh, you know, so hashtag change one habit. Right, yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what mine is. Um, I have enough hearing loss that I wear hearing aids. Hearing loss, believe it or not, Jay, is the biggest of all these risks that I've mentioned and will mention, it is the most significant. It can account for something like 8% of your risk for Alzheimer's. I think it links to social isolation, okay. which is also a known factor. So, you know, tragically, you saw what COVID did f with people in long-term care where they could only interact with somebody through a window, mm -hmm. um, that kind of social isolation. But hearing loss, for anyone that has it, they'll know right away. You know, going to a restaurant uh, with a table of eight, you can forget the other end of the table. You're right. just not going to hear, hear them properly. So I am doing more... I religiously wear my hearing aids, but I also try and position myself in situations like that, that where, you know, I'm in the middle of a table, maybe with my back to the wall so that I can hear better. And, um, you know, I even, even though I sometimes or quite often use closed captioning on TV, I also try and lip read at the same time. Um, it's a little difficult because the print is so obvious, but <laughs> these kinds of things, because, you know, people worried at first when hearing loss became an evident risk that maybe it was just part of the Alzheimer's package, that one of the early symptoms you get is yeah, hearing yeah. loss. But it now seems clear that if you wear hearing aids, that risk is reduced. And so that's absolutely key. 
That's you know, important. and I so mentioned that it's, it's not the fact yeah. that you actually have hearing loss. It's it's the impact that the hearing ha- loss has on the way you conduct yourself. That's what uh, that's the way yeah, people's right. thinking is trending right now. Now, you know, the most important one, and this is difficult to manage once, certainly once you're my age, is how much education, how long did you stay in school? Really? And we see this particularly, you know, the, the historical record in China where many women never went to school uh, shows that their Chinese women's rate of dementia, at least up till the present, has been unusually high. So obviously, if you're already out of school, you know, you can't go back mm-hmm. and say, well, I should have stuck it out till grade 12 or maybe even, you know, gone to college. But I think what all of us can do is, you know, really make it absolutely a guarantee that if kids want to go to school, they have access to school. And this is particularly true if you're a parent or a grandparent even, you know, where you're you're more exposed to what the impact dementia can have and you have grandkids. I mean, you, you know, you can't force them to stay in school, but it's just another thing that is worth considering. And by the way, that, that correlates with your crossword puzzle idea. Right, yeah. Because there's a lot of There's a lot of hope, I would say, that engaging in Sudoku or New York Times Wordle, crossword puzzles, I think all of that is definitely good for you and good for your mind. Um, The evidence that it can replace early education isn't there yet. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think it's because the brain is maturing rapidly when you're in those you know, in junior high school and high school, and that's when education can take advantage of that. That, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, Jay, I imagine, given what we, you know, we, we did a story recently about um, the silver tsunami and the aging population, mm. anything we can do in terms of reducing the incidence of dementia and Alzheimer's is going to have a huge benefit to us as a society. I mean, you talk about healthcare, you talk about all the rest. Uh, we know our population is getting older. There's age is obviously part of this. Uh, anything we can do is going to pay off in spades, right? Well, totally. And, and so we tend to, you know, our anxiety about dementia revolves around ourselves and our loved ones and our friends. But even not just reduce the incidence, even if you delay it yeah, yeah. by five years, the the positive impact on the healthcare system would be amazing. So, you know, in the latest analysis of this, there have been some added that weren't there before, including traumatic brain injury. So, you know, take care if you're bike, mountain biking and things like that. Um, air pollution, which to me is a very... That, that's something an individual can't really control. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I live next to the crow child. Is that is that going to affect my risk for dementia? But a government, you know, governments can, can handle that. So, you know, there's a wide range. Diabetes is another one. Control it if you can. There are a lot of these. And as you said, Public Health Agency of Canada is wanting all of us to take one of these and change one habit, upgrade your activity. What would you do, Shay? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm proud to say, and I keep saying that I quit smoking uh, about a year and a half ago. So that's a good positive step. I think the one for me yeah, is to totally. make sure that I try and remain active. And I notice, you know, not even thinking about this, although this is something that's definitely I've thought about. And, you know, it, it's it's scary to me, Jay. I'm not going to lie. It really is. Oh. 
I was talking to my wife about it this weekend. Would you rather have your body break down or your brain break down? I mean, what, what, what would be worse? And I think for me, it would be dementia. It would be Alzheimer's. But uh, I think uh, staying active, staying mobile, keep moving. You know what I mean? I think that's something that I really need to make sure I stay on top of. And, you know, I would just underline one thing that has been in the news lately about the approval in the U.S. of now a second yes, yeah. anti-Alzheimer's drug. But really, I would so caution people that its effects are very minimal. There are health risks like cerebral bleeding that may be associated with these drugs. And the fact is they're going to be ultra expensive. Yeah. And so to me, reduce the, if you can reduce one of your risks or two of your, you can, you know, if you're socially active and physically active, if, if you work out with a group, you're, you're reducing two risks at one time. So I would just plead with people to think about these risks. You can go to uh, canada.ca slash dementia. Mm -hmm. They're all laid out there. And, um, you know, make a decision, change one habit. Great idea. And you know what? It's not just for your, for, you know, warding off the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's. A lot of those things you're talking about are going to help you, generally speaking, just be happier and healthier later in life anyway. It doesn't matter. And you know, uh, what's going to be interesting, Shay, is in the next, because the, the Lancet, the medical journal, is, has created this commission that evaluates these risks every three years. So the next one's coming out in 2023. And friends of mine in the Alzheimer's field uh, say, you know what, the next one is going to be reduced vision, just as it is now with reduced hearing. And so there is an association with cataracts and uh, dementia, that if you get cataract surgery, <clears throat> you have reduced your risk. And so really, when you think about it, it's all your sensory input. The more sensory input you're getting, the better it is for your brain. Fantastic. Great stuff, Jay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. We'll chat again next time you've got a great story. Uh, you let me know and we'll, we'll do this. So we have the Three Amigos Summit kicking off um, later today. Uh, it really kicks off tomorrow, but uh, everybody arrives there today, and there are some meetings scheduled for later this afternoon. Essentially what it is um, is a gathering of the leaders of Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Um, we used to do them regularly, took a bit of a break, uh, came back. The last one was held in November of 2021. And, of course, there's always issues, and, and the argument is... Um, how much of a North American approach are we going to take to these issues and the different countries um, and their concerns? Because it's all focused on how the United States is going to handle these things. Primarily, um, the last summit focused a lot on the America First stance that was being um, widely touted by Joe Biden when it came to, you know, the massive infrastructure bill, electric vehicles, all the rest of that stuff. Uh, I imagine that's still going to be part of the conversation. But um there's there's a bunch of other things that are on the radar. So let's get a bit of a preview. We're going to chat with Eric Miller, who is a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and president of the Rideau Potomac Strategy Group. Eric, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Yes, thanks for having me on. So, um, yeah, what do we expect to be on the agenda this time? As I say, last time, the America First mandate from Biden was sort of the big talking point, And that's still an issue, I would think. But um, where does it fit into what you see as the agenda being? Well, a big talking point on the trade front is going to be so-called friend-shoring. Uh, there's been this uh, great rhetorical uh, flourish on the part of particularly the leaders of the U.S. and Canada 
around trying to produce more within North America and shift supply chains away from a focus in Asia. That's, of course, easier said than done, but Mm -hmm. that's something we're going to see a lot of. And, of course, we noted President Biden stopped at the U.S.-Mexico border on the way, and so migration will be a heavy uh, feature on the agenda as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of us look at that as a uniquely American problem, but it's not, right? I mean, Canada has a role to play there, and obviously Mexico does, so it makes sense for the three amigos to be talking about that. Absolutely. And what you see is that a lot of the people coming across the U.S.-Mexico border are actually from Central America and even from other parts of the world. And there are many of those folks that are also trying to make their way to Canada. And what we've seen repeatedly is that when Canadians feel that the immigration system is not working in an orderly fashion, uh, like when we saw those irregular crossings at Roxon Road in Quebec, you saw support for the immigration system decline. And so it's fundamentally important for the Trudeau government uh, to ensure that the the processes uh, between Canada and the rest of the world, including coming up from Latin America, are seen as orderly by Canadians, and you don't have the sort of uncontrolled crossing environment that you've seen in parts of the U.S. So when you say, and, and, and you're right, I mean, the United States administration has been pretty clear that's sort of the focus of this summit for them, or at least, you know, that's the primary focus. There are other things that will be discussed, but that's sort of the big issue for them. Where does Canada fit into where the uh, where that conversation might go? What's the ask? What's the expectation? Are we just sort of, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the tail of that, you know, that migration route? Or, or how big of a role are we expected to play in that? On the migration front, there will be a number of different factors, including information sharing, cooperation on law enforcement. There needs to be some deeper thinking, and some of this is happening around how do you stop the push factors out of Central America. There's also the issue which may or may not be discussed, but which is a fundamental long-term migration issue, which is the basically failed state of Haiti and the desire of many uh, people on that island to to seek safety elsewhere. And so Canada has a lot of different dimensions and pieces to bring to the table because there are many more parts of the world that people want to leave than people want to come to, and Canada is one of those places where people want to come. That's going to be something Canada will want to discuss, but there are a variety of other things they will also be seeking cooperation on. Yeah, let's talk about those. What else do you see as sort of Canada's priorities, aside from what the U.S. and Mexico may want? What's Canada going to be focused on? So Canada's going to be focused on looking at uh, how do we build North American cooperation on the electric vehicle front. We've seen the administration of Mexican President Lopez Obrador essentially renationalized large parts of their energy and electricity sector. And so this has been a real advantage for Canada in pushing forward its competitiveness. You've seen a huge array of investments in the auto industry, uh, particularly in Ontario, that are driven from the electric vehicle and electrification sector. Because if you're going to have electric vehicles, you need to do testing in an environment where there's flexibility with the utilities, and the Mexican government has retaken over their utilities. So that's certainly one thing. Canada is also concerned very much about what they see as the long-term protectionist tendency in the United States and are concerned that, well, this electric vehicle tax credit piece has been dealt with. There's a fundamental 
uh, investment that the U.S. has made uh, at a scale which puts real competitive challenges on Canada. So to the extent that, for example, on things like semiconductors, you can get some of that production in Canada and some of that production in the U.S., that's something that they're going to be working on. So the sense is the U.S. is spending big money, and Canada needs to not only try to match that money to a reasonable extent, but also to have these sort of production-sharing structures so that some production goes to Canada. In, in Along those lines, a, a different sector, but when it comes to keeping up sort of you know, being a, a player, I, I'm, I'm wondering about the announcement today on finally procuring the F-35 fighter jets. We've talked so much about defense. We know the United States has pressured Canada to take a, a, a better position on their defense, or at least a stronger position. Do you think the timing is a coincidence, or is Canada sort of responding to some of the pressures the U.S. has put on around defense by announcing this on the morning of the summit? So certainly there is a linkage between the announcement and uh, the summit, but we've seen for a long time a whole process that's been gone through. Unfortunately, uh, during both the Harper government and the Trudeau government, this decision was highly politicized, and there was at one point when they said, no, we will not buy the F-35, and there are some who raised legitimate operational concerns about, say, operating in the Arctic. But at the end of the day, this is the new generation fighter that will allow Canadian troops to interoperate with their allies. And so the defense community in Canada has simply been telling the government for the last two years, just make a decision, please buy something. And so the fact that they've done that and you'll see significant benefits going to the U.S. in the production of those and, of course, benefits to Canada through the offtake agreements. There is an important example there of how uh, North American cooperation can benefit both sides. So, no question there's a linkage. Uh, in terms of cooperation, what is the relationship like? We know it's been strained at times. Um, Biden has yet to visit Canada, believe it or not. I mean, um, there's questions around supply chains, trusted trading partners, all that sort of stuff. In terms of having this summit, getting together face-to-face, we know there will be sidebars, all the rest. What is the state of the relationship, and how important is this summit to securing that? It, it depends on What the issue is, Canada and the U.S. are so close that the the relationship on many levels just simply functions. You have uh, every year you have hundreds of senior officials, ministers and so on who visit the U.S., who have good relationships with members of the administration, with governors. And so on the whole, the relationship is reasonably strong. The challenge is, is that. Canadians do not necessarily have long-term faith in the U.S.'s ability to do what it says it's going to do and to do things in a manner that are not going to hurt Canada. The chaos we saw in the House of Representatives uh, last week Mm -hmm. is something that sent shivers uh, through those who support uh, greater aid to Ukraine or continued aid to Ukraine, which is something that's a big Canadian priority. And certainly on the trade front, we've seen no evidence of a of a shift. Uh, The sad thing is that when you take something like energy, where there could be uh, a much greater emphasis on Canada-U.S. cooperation. So when I was in Calgary in December, I met with the company that supplies a third of California's natural gas. We never hear about that, and that is something that leaders need to be embracing. And the North American energy advantage is something that I fear will be a missed opportunity on the table here 
but absolutely should be something that is on the table because it's a, a great area not only for us to be stronger in terms of our competitiveness within North America, but exporting our energy resources to places like Asia where we can take them off of coal-fired power plants and put them on to clean Canadian natural gas. Um, these kinds of summits don't anticipate major announcements. That's not typically what this is about, right? I mean, what do you? How do you expect this to end? This is about sustaining the friendship, right? Yeah. The one long-term structural issue that we have is we've never quite figured out what what is it that we can be doing as three that we're not already doing as two. It's important that they get together. It's important when the Canadian Prime Minister, no matter. Uh, who he is meets the U.S. president, no matter who he is. That's something which is important. It's also important when uh, one meets the president of Mexico. But fundamentally, what North America needs, and as we go into this six-year review of the the new NAFTA or the Kuzma Agreement in 2026, we need a sense of what's the long-term vision. What can we be doing as North America together that we're not doing separately, either as individual countries or as a series of bilateral relationships? That's the challenge, and that's the thing I don't think is going to be resolved. Okay. Excellent. Eric, thank you so much for your insight. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. (laughs) And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.